a great goal! Ronaldo coming to life! Harry Kill! Nakamura! Brilliant from Messi! Kaká and Gerrard! Pressure now on Park Ji-sung. What pressure? Tim Cahill has done it again! What a goal by Tim Cahill! Welcome everyone, this is World Football Weekly on ABC Radio Australia from 4Diegos.com. My name's Rodrigo Rodriguez and with me today are my co-hosts, Carlos Alberto Diego and Warren Diego. Diego's, welcome to our weekly wrap of World Football. Thanks Rodrigo and hello to our listeners on today's show. We'll cover the latest Oceania Nations Cup news. We give you an Asian Champions League update and uh, isn't it a fantastic news for Adelaide United uh, the Australian side that's qualified for the quarterfinals. And we'll talk about the upcoming Asian World Cup qualifiers. Of course, big games coming up there too. Tackle the hot topic of the week. And I can't go. Can't wait to go head-to-head with uh, Warren on this one. Yes, Carlos. We talk the Euros, the 2012 Euro Championships. We talk EPL football and share a special soft sombrero moment with the hottest goalkeeper in the world, <laughs> not just Asia at the moment, captain of Adelaide United, Eugene Galekovic. So, Rodrigo, it's great to have you back. We've missed your dulcet tone, yes. so let's get on with the show. Yes, thanks for that, Warren. It's great to be back. Let's get into the hot topic of the week, boys. And uh, look, there's a bit of ultimatums going around in the uh, women's uh, women's league over there, over here in Australia, the W League. Dual international in cricket and football. Um, Elise Perry was basically given an ultimatum by her club, Cambria United. Commit the same as everyone else. She needs to give up cricket and um, go find yourself or go find yourself another club. Is that too harsh? Are they right in saying that? You know, the funny thing is I don't think it is too harsh. With a caveat, if you're going to ask a person to be professional in a sport, you've got to pay professional wages. And the simple fact of the matter is at the moment, I don't believe that Canberra can pay Elise Perry the wages that she could probably get from playing both codes. But as a general principle, I think it's showing that women's football and women's sport is becoming more professional. We're seeing it in the netball, the ANZ championships, but there has to be a financial remuneration that's, um, that's, you know, related to the sport. But that'll never happen. That'll never happen with women's sport. It'll never, I mean, how many incarnations of uh, the uh, professional leagues in the, the US have we had with women's football? Uh, they've, uh, they've always come on the scene with a, with a big, uh, you know, celebration, the big, uh, you know, the big bang. And then suddenly what happens is that they've run out of money within a couple of years. Women's professional sport will never make money except for the tennis. If you play tennis or, or a game like that, cricket will never make money or you'll, you'll never have a professional wage that justifies the time you put in, especially compared to men, and football will be the same. And that's why I think Canberra United have been unrealistic with their ultimatum here. They want the player to train full-time, uh, as hard as any man would train at the top league in the A-League, but not remunerate that person. And uh, I think that's ridiculous. And I think, uh, in, you know, you're saying you can see the other side of it. Well, I can't see the other side of it if there's not the money that's equivalent to the amount of time she's expected to uh, invest in this. I think, Carlos, what you need to actually do is take a, a broad-minded approach to this, which I know <laughs> that you struggle to do on most occasions. But I think in this situation, bearing in mind that whatever sport Elise Perry chooses... She can be a poster, a promoting person, a poster girl, so to speak, in non-political correct terms for that sport, which she has been for cricket. There's an opportunity that if she commits to a game of foot, the, the game of soccer, football, that she can become that person and can be supported as a professional player within the structure of, you know, Football Federation Australia, you know, the Women's League and 
football in general. And I think that's the opportunity that can be created by her committing here. So what's changed here? This girl played for Australia at the last Women's World Cup. And scored Cup. a great goal, exactly. if you so, remember. So, and so she's a, by the way, she's a third fastest female bowler in cricket yeah. in the world, too. Right. So she's she's a role model, but she's an elite athlete. Absolutely. And the big problem with Warren's argument, he keeps on, keeps on saying, yeah, but you've got to pay them. But they will never be paid that. So you've, they've got to be given all the flexibility at yeah. the top level, especially if they're good enough. If they're not good enough, you just send them packing. You're not good enough. You go back to cricket. But if they're, if they're good enough for both sports, you've got to be able to pander to the individual cases, and that's what uh, Canberra United failed to do in this case. The FFA could compensate Elise Perry for the income that she's losing by from cricket by supporting her through her football. There's no doubt they could do Carlos. There's they a whole do squad it in of, other ways. There's a whole squad of, uh, of Australian elite young women well, who are playing up. at the top level who aren't getting paid well, properly. Well, set it up so they can, and I'm sure that the income is there for them to be able to do it. Thanks, guys. There's a couple of hot topics in that one today, but uh, let's move on. Don't forget, if you'd like to be part of the show, um, you can email us on 4diegos at bigpond.com or follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash 4diegos, or you can even like us on Facebook, <laughs> facebook.com forward slash 4diegos. Um, you might see our face and not like us, but uh, let us know your thoughts on the world game. Coming up, it's an Asia-Pacific Australasian wrap. This is World Football Weekly on ABC Radio Australia. When English football manager Chris Turner was asked about what he says to his players to fire them up for a big game, he said, I tell the players we need to win so I can have the cash to buy some new ones. It goes without saying that Chris hasn't won many games. This has been a sad coaching moment by the four Diegos. This is World Football Weekly on ABC Radio Australia. It's your weekly dose of world football. Coming up, we share a special soft sombrero moment with captain of Adelaide United, Eugene Galekovic. But first, uh, gents, let's get stuck into the OFC Nations Cup 2012. And teams are getting ready for the battle now for the Nations Cup. Um, you know, uh, basically, the all-whites New Zealand are looking at uh, being the clear favourites. All the teams have arrived on the Solomon Islands and are ready to do battle. Yes, uh, Honiara International Airport, uh, they're all welcomed in, in sterling uh, uh, Solomon Islands fashion. Uh, the hospitality certainly there, but on Friday when he kicks off the first game, of course, Samoa versus Tahiti, there won't be any hospita hospitality <laughs> there. They'll be working very, very hard to try and finish in the top uh, four so they can qualify for the next phase. The group of death to me looks like New Zealand, Solomon Islands, Fiji and Papua New Guinea, Carlos. If you have a look at the two groups, it looks a very tight group there. Perhaps New Zealand are the clear favourites oh. there. But in terms of Perhaps the others, they are. <laughs> Winston Reid is a professional footballer. Shane Smeltz scores for fun. Chris Wood plays professionally overseas. Marcus Rice. I mean, there's not one player in the other sides that can match any of those New Zealand the players. The conditions, Carlos. The conditions. Well, now you're you know, talking. Now we're you're talking. talking about the intangibles, the things that can't be measured in terms of numbers of games played and performance. We know that New Zealand are favourites, but in the in the games that are played, a, far, a, a very quick and large number of games in a short period of time in conditions from 12 o'clock in the middle of the day in the Solomon Islands. Carlos, I'm, I'm smelling potential upsets here. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. And the only thing missing, it seems to me, now that the team's arrived, Carlos, is actually the Diego's there <laughs> yes. to be immersed in the actual competition because we love our O-League. Well, let's go through the uh, groups just quickly. Uh, group A is New Caledonia, Samoa, uh, Tahiti and Vanuatu. 
Carlos, uh, any thoughts on, on those clubs? Well, teams? they're not easy beats, those sides. I mean, we talk about uh, the fact that New Zealand is far and away the favourite on paper, but uh, on any given day, and this is one thing I get close to Warren in, in agreeing with uh, the conditions and the fact that they're very, very motivated, these sides, to do well. New Caledonia uh, won the Pacific Games back in 2011, uh, so they are a side that knows how to win tournaments. Uh, Samara, of course, they're underdogs. We don't expect them to do much. They qualified through the first phase. Tahiti, bronze medalists at the Pacific Games in 2011 and also most of their team comes from Tafana, the team that Warren loves mm-hmm. and they did so well in the O-League. Vanuatu is a bit of, bit of an unknown commodity and maybe that's a little bit of a, a plus for them and of course Group B, uh, you know, Warren uh, would know a lot about uh, those sides well, there. New Group Zealand, B. Solomon Islands, Fiji and Papua New Guinea. Yeah, there's a lot of strength in I mean, I don't quite know if Fiji are still hanging on to beating Australia in 1988, <laughs> Carlos, but they are, they are still living off that glory. But um, obviously... The Solomon Islands, they finished second in the Pacific um, Games in 2011. They're playing at home. They'll have, you know, big crowd support. I'm really backing Tahiti to get through on the back of Tafana. And let's see if that, you know, the Tahiti-New Zealand rivalry can continue, Carlos, into this competition as it did through the O-League. Well, of course, Papua New Guinea's uh, Frank Farina coached uh, at the moment, uh, recent inductee um, into the... Uh, um, well, he won the Alex yeah, Tobin well, medal. He'll medal. be awarded that in a couple yes. of weeks' time. So the guy's a legendary player. Probably got a little bit, little bit to prove as a coach. Uh, he had a long stint with Australia that uh, ended in tears, really, when Gus Hinning came along. But uh, he's in charge of Papua New Guinea, and, and he's had him for a while now. So let's see whether he's got a pattern of play that might be able to let them qualify for the next phase. The OFC Nations Cup kicks off tomorrow, Friday the 1st of June, at Lawson Tama Stadium in Honiara. Should be fantastic. Let's quickly go have a look at some of the Asian champions league game. And let's start with Adelaide United who defeated Nagoya Grampus 8-1-0 at Hindmarsh Stadium. What a fantastic story this is. Um, Adelaide United um, are now into the quarterfinals. Now, it's not often I'm flummoxed and bemuffled. Befuddled. That's not good for radio, uh, No, Carlos. exactly not. But, uh, you know, the fact that they were so poor, Adelaide United, or they were so disappointing for their crowd in the, in the A-League and the way they've gone about... Uh, you know, manoeuvring their way through the Asian Champions League. They're, they're looking really strong. They're not doing it uh, uh, through uh, sort of parking the bus or anything like that. They're playing some good football. And, of course, we're, we'll speak to their, you know, inspirational captain in a moment. But uh, I just think they've got the pedigree for this uh, competition. They made the final a few years ago. Uh, they were beaten heavily in the final, but they just seem to go well. and know their secret. They know the, uh, the way to go about uh, progressing to the pointy end of this competition, and I don't see them stopping till the semifinals at least. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll take a couple of things out of the whole range of results. Very surprised to see FC Tokyo lose their game. They were so impressive in the Brisbane United, in the Brisbane um, group, mm. and they looked, even though they'd come up from the second tier of um, Japanese football into the first tier and made it through a kissing your sister cup equivalent, Carlos, <laughs> in Japan, they will look fantastic in that competition. Surprised to see. But also, Carlos, the rise of the uh, the Middle Eastern teams in the Asian Champions League. You know, El Eddie had El Halali and, mm. and, and those El Jazeera. El Jazeera as well. There's a real powerhouse and you get a sense through the money that those teams have got and the and the bringing together of a big mix of overseas players from all over the world, they're going to, you almost sense that the power of club football is going that way. 
And by the way, don't forget that the Chinese clubs are now investing. Uh, Marcello Lippi, the, the former coach of the Italian national team, is coaching Guangzhou Evergrande at the moment. They qualified through the next round too. So, uh, And don't forget Sung Yam Ilwar uh, defeated, uh, sorry, lost against Bunyakor. Of course, that was uh, Sasha Ogonoski versus David Carney. So David Carney in the change room for the Socceroos. I think he'll have a few uh, words to say there. Thanks, guys. Uh, let's. Uh, I'm looking forward to the interview just uh, coming up. Remember, you can email us on uh, 4diegos at bigpond.com or follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash 4diegos. Like us on Facebook, please, 4diegos, <laughs> facebook.com uh, at uh, forward slash 4diegos. Coming up, uh, it's a special soft sombrero moment with uh, captain of Adelaide United, Eugene Kalekovic. This is World Football Weekly on ABC Radio Australia. your coach is not fired with enthusiasm, he will be fired with enthusiasm. This has been a profound coaching moment by the four Diegos. You're listening to World Football Weekly on ABC Radio Australia. Coming up is a wrap of all things happening in world football. But first, Australia's very own Adelaide United performed magnificently this week to qualify for the quarterfinal of the Asian Champions League after defeating arch-rivals Nagoya Grampus from the J-League 1-0. It was a tight game with uh, one man with very big hands standing (laughs) firm with some world-class saves to get United over the line. Uh, As he joins us today, please, a big four Diego's World Football Weekly welcome to captain of Adelaide United, Eugene Galekovic. Eugene, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. How are you? Not bad at all. Uh, got Rodrigo Rodriguez here. We've got Warren, Diego and Carlos Alberto. Now, let's get into it, uh, Eugene. It was an extremely tight game. You had to pull off some of the most amazing saves, which you actually we've all become accustomed to some of your great saves. The Diegos are saying that you were the difference between the two sides. What do you say? Yeah, no, I think, you know, the whole team did, uh, you know, fabulous. I think, you know, we obviously scored a goal and we had a few other chances uh in the end, they had a few chances as well, but I think, um, you know, we probably deserved the win. Um, and, you know, I think the boys have showed that in the last seven games we've played, we've been compact, disciplined, and uh, we've ended up getting results. Uh, Eugene, it's Carlos. Uh, I had the, when I saw you pull off the great save where you sort of dive backwards, you were parallel to the ground, dive backwards and sort of flicked it around the, the post, I, I had to go into YouTube and I typed in Gordon Banks, 1970 World Cup against uh, Brazil, when Pelé rose like a phoenix above uh, all the defenders and headed the ball down. And he was uh, unbelievable the way he made that save. Some are saying it's a world's greatest save. I didn't see much difference between what you did and what Gordon Banks did back in 1970. Talk us through what actually happened. Did it all happen in slow motion for you on that one? Actually, goes uh, actually it's pretty quick in your head. Like you know, you just react as a reflex save, and uh, you know, once it hits the ground, it's pretty. It's harder to judge because you know it, it's coming off the ground, so it's kind of going going up. So it's one of those you just kind of go for it. You kind of probably don't think you're going to get it, but you go for it, and in the end, I got a fingertip and put it around the corner, which kind of helped helped us out in the end. It made me think, Eugene, that sometime back in your life, either your mother or your grandmother had thrown things at you in disgust <laughs> and you'd practised reflexes of, you know, sticking your hands out to avoid things. Is the the nature of that save, does it come through the drills that you do in terms of your goalkeeper training or is there a portion of that that's just close your eyes, stick out your hand and hope for the best? Yeah, it comes with practice also, you know, obviously, you know, you said about my mother throwing things at me. My dad still claims that, you know, he was a, a handball goalkeeper and he gave me 
gave me huge genes. So, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's practice as well. You got to, you, you know, you got to practice every day on little things. And um, if you don't, then you know you, you won't get good at it. So, uh, you know, oh, I think it's part to do with training and part to do with you know your genes as well. It's brilliant to watch uh, Eugene. Now, you have to explain this to us, you know, and and this is not just for us, but. Given your A-League form, which has, you know, been relatively poor, compared to your Champions League, you guys are world beaters in that competition. Um, and you've proven it before. This is not the first time you've done this. Can you explain the difference in, you know, the way you play in the A-League or have performed over the last little while uh, compared to the way you perform in Champions League? Yeah, I think they're two different competitions. I think, you know, in the ACL, you come up, with, uh, you come up against great opposition. Um, teams that are on budgets of $40 million a year uh, 40 million a year so you got to kind of you know go into the game thinking you can't give them too much space you, you got to stay compact disciplined um and try to keep it tight and you know if you get a chance you're going to take it well in the a-league um you know you, you you're pretty even and uh you, you you try to go out and win games and score goals well you can't do that in the acl because you'll get found out if you give them too much space because you know the, the opposition are that much better um on the ball and you know, you just got to stay compact like we have uh, in all the ACL campaigns we've been in. Uh, we've qualified three times for the group of 16 and twice past the quarter, so, uh, you know, to the quarter. So, you know, we've kind of shown the way a little bit and uh, hopefully we, we can go a little bit further. Here on World Football Weekly, we're speaking with captain of Adelaide United, Eugene Galekovic. Now, Eugene, in technical terms, I think you just described that you've gone that you're good at parking the bus, so to speak, <laughs> initially. But the interesting thing, that, and I've watched most of your games through this qualifying stage, the thing that impressed me most about the performance on Tuesday night was the fact that it was more than just being compact and parking the bus and defending. It was really quite an open, pulsating game. And you guys were able to create as many chances as your opposition through really good team linking midfield play with Bruce, Bruce Jitte doing a fantastic job as the single prong for a large part of the game. It seems like the players have grown as a group in terms of their confidence and are now feeling like they, particularly at home, can take it to these far bigger budgeted teams. Yeah, exactly right. Like you said, it's got to do with confidence. You know, the first couple of games in the ACL, uh, you could almost say we just parked the bus and, you know, we might have scored a lucky goal. But, um, with, you know, with the wins on the board... It's, uh, we're keeping the ball a lot more and uh, we're, we're moving forward as a team. Like I said, early on, we maybe just did park the bus and didn't worry about going forward too much, um, but it's changed as well now because of the confidence in the team. You know, we play for the defence, for the midfield, for the striker, and, uh, you know, we all get involved. Now, Eugene, uh, Luke Trani, the assistant coach, is on the bench there, and we know Luke very well uh, from his time in Melbourne, and we call him the professor. Uh, now, we, look, obviously he's uh, sat on the bench through the whole uh, ACL campaign because John Cosmina has got to go back to school and get his qualifications. Uh, I'm sure he's, Johnny's got a lot to say in the background, but who's taking the credit for all this in the, in the change room? Is there a little bit of dissension amongst the two of them about who, who's really uh, got the reason why this is all happening? Oh, you know, obviously they work together, you know, Cos is the coach and um, uh, Luciano is the assistant coach and, you know, the only thing that's changed is on the team sheet because of uh, regulations to do with AFC. So, you know, Cos is obviously making the final decision still and uh, Luch is obviously um, working with him, you know, to, to help him make those decisions. Now, Eugene, you've gone through this period where you've qualified for the last, for the quarterfinals and you've had to experience this 
big break within the quarterfinal running into the new A-League season. Does it hold any fears for you guys as a team with regards to the momentum maybe not being able to be kept? Or are you comfortable with the fact that you now can have a, a proper break in terms of before the pre-season starts and you'll be able to recapture that form going into the quarterfinals? Yeah, I think um, we're looking forward to this break just because it's it's been a long season. You've got to remember, we didn't know we were in the a- AFC until, um, you know, probably a few months back. So our pre-season was, uh, started probably a little bit too early. We've been going over a year and two months nearly. So it, it has been a long season. Um, if, if, like I said, if Freddie at the time knew that we were in the um, Asian Champions League, then he would have maybe uh, started pre-season a little bit later. So... You know, we might we might lose a little bit of momentum, but I'm pretty sure the boys will come back. Um, you know, looking forward to the challenge ahead uh, for the quarters and the A League season starting. Now, Eugene, as you were pulling off those magnificent uh, saves, did your mind at all turn to whether Holger Osik was watching? Because <laughs> you know, Adam Federici is out injured at the moment. Uh, are you kind of expecting a call now? Yeah, the time like you, you go, you just play the game. You don't worry about anything else. You try you try to win the game uh, for the club and for the team and. Um, you know, I'm no different to any other player. If, if that comes along, then, you know, it's a bonus. And, uh, you know, I, I'd love to be back in that squad. But, you know, I can't. I don't make the shots there. I can only do what I do on the pitch. And if I get called, I get called. If I don't, then uh, I'll just uh, keep working harder. Well, we heard, uh, Eugene, that Mitch Langerak, uh, not knowing he wasn't picked in the original squad uh, before the announcement of Adam Federici being injured, he was on a Greek island somewhere with his girlfriend, uh, lying on the beach in his speedos and slip slop slapping there and uh, and have, enjoying the odd Savlaki and Uzo. And then he gets the call to come into camp. I mean, what are you going to do over this break? Are you going to somehow keep the reflexes sharp or are you going to go away and have a proper holiday? Yeah, no, I'm going away as well. I'm going to go to Europe and I'm going to the Euros, uh, the Euro- European Championships as well. So uh, I'll have a proper holiday this year and just relax. And, uh, you know, after a couple of weeks, I might get on the treadmill and, uh, you know, get my get my fitness back. <laughs> uh, now, it's very important for you to do. So, so as you said, you know, you're going to go on holiday, but make sure your wife keeps throwing things at you to keep those reflexes uh, <laughs> sharp, just in case a Socceroos call. All right, Eugene, mate, we really appreciate your time. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and we've you know enjoyed watching you for many, many years, and uh, last night was just the icing on the cake. Fantastic stuff. Thanks for joining Thanks. us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Not at all. That was a special soft sombrero moment with captain of Adelaide United, Eugene Galekovich. Next up, it's a World Football Update with uh, Warren Carlos and myself in there as well, so stay tuned. This is World Football Weekly on ABC Radio Australia. Class is when they run you out of town to look like you're leading a parade. This has been a profound coaching moment by the four Diegos. You were on your own, you do as you please. Having so much fun, got a lost reason. You're listening to World Football Weekly on ABC Radio Australia. It's your weekly dose of world football. Don't forget, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can email us on 4diegos at bigpond.com or follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash 4diegos and keeping our social media um, going on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash 4diegos. Check it out there. Like us. Um, can you dislike somebody on Facebook? But anyway, <laughs> let us know your thoughts and opinion on everything that is world football. Now, let's talk about the world scene. And uh, Euro 2012 is upon us, boys. It's in Poland and the Ukraine, starting on June the 8th to July the 1st. This is going to be... We, I love the Euro, um, the Euro uh, Cup, obviously. Um, group A, let's go through the groups. Um, group A is Czech Republic, Greece, Poland and Russia. 
Greece uh, here, of course, they're going through a few problems back home, of course, uh, with, the, uh, with the economy and so forth. But uh, they qualified without losing a game. And, of course, it wasn't a strong group that they qualified from. But uh, they're going to be uh, a team that's pretty resilient. I think they're going to be doing it for their country. There's a lot more motivation here than just playing football. Of course, Poland is a, is a team uh, playing at home. And uh, we'll see how they go. But I don't know if they've got too many uh, players that can make them win the competition. But they might qualify out of the group. Russia was another team that did very, very well in the original qualifiers. Czech Republic were a team that had to go through a playoff. So I think I expect them to sort of drop off pretty quickly. The group of mediocrity, if you look at the other groups, Carlos, <laughs> I'd say. It's a bit of a raffle there in terms of the way teams will qualify. But um, I don't think you're getting the winner out of that group in terms of down the track. What about in Group B, uh, Warren? Denmark, Germany, Netherlands and Portugal. That's an interesting group. It's almost the group of death, That Carlos. is the group of yeah, death, definitely. And um, the Danes are on the improve, but... Gee whiz, Germany, the Netherlands and Portugal. You're going to have one coach being sacked here because whoever doesn't get through to the next round. Don't underestimate Denmark. They finished on top of Portugal. Portugal had to play against Bosnia in the playoffs to get through to this competition at this level. So Denmark's going to be hard to beat and they love playing it. Scandinavians love playing against Germany and Holland because it's almost the the big brothers versus the smaller brothers. But you'd think the Dutch and the Germans would get through in that group, Carlos. They should, yeah. What about in Group C? Croatia, Ireland, Italy and Spain. I'm calling this a group of austerity. (laughs) If you you throw Greece in there, it'd be perfect. Unbelievable. Italy, Ireland, Spain, they're all struggling in Croatia. I'm not not sure whether their economy is all that good either. But uh, this is a tough one. And Italy will do really well because of the, uh, of course, the the betting scandal tends to, any scandals at all tends to tend to galvanize, galvanize the uh, the Italian side. And whenever they've had a big problem back home or a big problem in the team, they've always come back and actually almost won the tournament. So I expect Italy and Spain, of course, to qualify yeah. in that group. Italy will get three draws and get out of the group just <laughs> and then do okay. And the Spanish, who lost a practice match during the week, which is good form. You want to be losing practice <laughs> matches. What about in Group D? Uh, this is the group where England, France, Sweden and the Ukraine uh, take, take off against each other. Well, the Ukraine are, of course, playing at home, but I'm not saying that they've got too many. I mean, they, they, they might be plucky. They might get out of the group, but I don't expect them to too, cause too much damage through the competition. Sweden are a very, very good side. They'll uh, they'll do well. France and England. France haven't been beaten they've in 19 games. Around, yep, well, France, yeah, for 19 games. But they owe their fans, by the way, with the way they behaved in 2010. And England, well, it, no expectation on England. Uncle Roy's coaching them. They'll probably do very well. But they've already lost Gareth Barry, who I would have thought would have been pivotal in the way they wanted to play. So maybe the English might miss out and the um, the French and the Swedes might get through, Carlos. Interesting. Can't wait for Euro 2012, Poland and the Ukraine. June 8th, uh, European time to July the 1st. The game, our time, is Poland versus Greece on Saturday the 9th of June. And on Saturday, um, later that day, is Russia versus the Czech Republic. Looking forward to that. We didn't get to this story, but we will next week. The new coach of Liverpool, hopefully, Warren, just for you, we'll talk about it next week. Thanks, guys. It's, that's it for this week's show. It's gone so fast. You can join us from 4diegos.com for your dose of world football every week here on World Football Weekly on ABC Radio Australia. Until next week, ole! Este samba que me estou de maracá.